Hey guys, this is Landon, and you can follow me at Hot Pelicans Takes on Twitter. And you are listening to the Deep South Podcast, brought to you by the Pulse Podcast Network, bringing you your weekly Pelicans, Saints, and LSU Tigers coverage by fans for fans. And this episode of the Deep South Podcast is brought to you by Tix Blitz. Tix Blitz is the official ticket provider for the Pulse Podcast Network. Have you been searching for the best ticket deals around? Well, look no further. With TixFlix, the price you see is the price you pay. And TixFlix just happens to have over $6 billion in ticket inventory just waiting for you. They absolutely mean it when they say every ticket, every venue, everywhere. And you can save even more with promo code PULSE in all caps to save you 5% off your total purchase. Just go to TixFlix.com and click the search bar. Search events based on your geographic location. Pick the show you want, and bam, it's showtime. Sporting events, Broadway shows, concerts, and more with TixFlix.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the email newsletter so you can stay up to date on the latest news and savings with TixFlix. That's TixFlix.com. T-I-X-D-L-I-T-Z.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. How's it going, guys? And welcome to another edition of the Deep South Podcast, where we're right now in the uh, in the midst of our Anthony Davis trade series. Today, we have on Dylan from the Bucking the Trend podcast, where he's going to talk about his Milwaukee Bucks and um, what their potential is and their interest is in an Anthony Davis trade. Um, Dylan, how's it going, man? Good, Landon. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Uh, I don't. I saw maybe I think it was your account that posted. You're not a true Pelicans fan if you know who that guy is, and I definitely didn't know who that guy was. So um, I'm happy to be on here talking about the Bucks with you, and you talking about the Pelicans with me. <laughs> yeah, awesome, man. Um, let's get right into it. So we've we've done this trade series for a couple weeks now. We started with the Toronto Raptors, uh, and now we move on to the Milwaukee Bucks, and kind of just honestly walking it up in terms of uh, which teams have the best chance at it. And, of course, we'll get to the teams like the Boston Celtics and the Lakers that have been in trade rumors for the last couple weeks. But let's talk about your Milwaukee Bucks tonight. So, first of all, what an amazing season they've had, having a young team for the past few years, um, you know, kind of building through the draft a little bit and adding some other pieces to the mix. They've really built a great team this year, led by Giannis Antetokounmpo. Talk about his MVP performance this year and the campaign that you guys are getting for him and just how much he's been able to to carry your team to the first seed in the Eastern Conference this year. I think what's important to talk about Giannis, when you kind of break it down and you look at his career and where he's progressed, and I put it in a couple different stages. Um, I, you, his first three years, he was really focused on getting used to the American game. Um, coming from the second division in Greece, as I'm sure a lot of people watched that just finding Giannis thing on TNT before the All-Star game, uh, it was different. His body wasn't quite ready for that. So getting him here and getting him on a weight program was big. Um, and then Jason Kidd, as much shade as people throw at Jason Kidd, he really helped push Giannis's basketball envelope and push his mind to get him to where we are now. And the third stage is now with Mike Budenholzer, we're taking all that talent and that's we're being refined and you're seeing it out on the court. Um, he's, the most efficient player in basketball. He's the most unguardable player inside of 10 feet. Um, 
he's arguably, I'd say, the best defensive player in the NBA if you break down stats. I mean, let me just tell you this one stat here, and this is one that I heard and my mind was blown. So Giannis has uh, 5.4, well, right now, he has a 5.3 offensive box plus minus, which averages points uh, per 100 uh, possessions. And he has a 5.2 defensive box, which is defensive points uh, allowed per 100 possessions. He is on track to be the first person in NBA history to be over five in both of those for a season. The only players to have four are David Robinson, Kevin Garnett, Kareem, Bob Lanier, and Russell Westbrook. So, I mean, if you look at that right there, that shows you what kind of a year he's having. Yeah, definitely. That's really a, um, a telltale sign and, and some pretty elite company there. So, yeah, thank you for uh, giving us that stat. Um, yeah, so obviously he's been amazing this year. You talked about the the weight that he was able to put on and just how he's kind of reformed his body in the last year. I, I remember those pictures going out on uh, social media and all that over the summer about just how much he's bulked up. And, and yeah, he's just a monster and a force to be reckoned with. And one of the most promising young players in the league, similar to Anthony Davis, who we're going to be talking about in a little bit, um, as some of the kind of generational talents in the league that could possibly be the face of the league in a few years. Uh, do you see Giannis having that upside, especially, you know, how, how good he's playing now just in his first few seasons? He's still so young, and I don't think people just understand how young this guy is. Um, I was talking about it the other night with with Kawhi Leonard, too. That's another guy that's just had so much success early in his career that people don't understand just how young this guy is. But um, but where do you see his his ceiling topping out at? Do you think this is a guy that's the face of the fran- uh, face of the franchise, certainly, but the face of the NBA in just a short time? It's interesting because I think we're starting to push that envelope when it comes to Giannis. Um, he, right now, I, I, in my eyes, is the MVP and in, in the eyes of many. Um, when you start to break it down to what his game is, he's starting, he's just now starting to realize what he's capable of. Um, if you watched any of the games, probably from even, you know, 20 games in the year this year, from on past, Giannis is really out of control when he drives to the basket. And you've started to see him find those open shooters. And part of it is the team around him. There are open shooters and there's guys that are capable shooters around him. And that always helps. But you start to see a young talent. And this is kind of where I separate AD and Giannis. AD hasn't had the help around him to make him look as good as Giannis has. I mean, Giannis is a fantastic player, but the other guys around Giannis complement his game so much more. I mean, six assists is a lot of the reason is because he has all these three-point shooters around him. He has 13 rebounds because Brooke Lopez, every single possession, blocks out the other team's biggest guy. And Giannis is there to snatch the rebound mostly uncontested. And he's averaging 27 because he's unstoppable getting to the rim. He's a good mid-range shooter. He's a progressing three-point shooter. And in terms of the hierarchy, I have him in that top five group when you're starting to debate between LeBron, Katie, Steph, and you know Harden, in my eyes, as the five best players um, in the NBA, uh, not just this season, but in total. I think Giannis, is, he's already there in my eyes. Yeah, awesome. That's definitely a conversation that we're already having right now, and it's certainly a legitimate argument. I think personally I would have him right outside of that top five bubble. Um, usually I put him about about six or seven in my eyes. Um, 
you know, just because I want to, I want to see him take that next step, which they could very well do this year with the. Are uh, you talking now? Are you talking about as a team? You want him to take that step, or are you saying like as a like in his in terms of his career, as like you want to see him win a playoff series? Like, does that? Are because I think that's two different arguments you're having there. If you're talking best player combined with legacy and what he's done so far, yeah, I'd probably put Giannis at about six too. But if you're just talking greatest players based off of just their basketball players, I mean, Giannis is top five in my eyes, but I just want to make sure we're having the same conversation. You know what I mean? Because I think that's why a lot of people, and you see it on national TV, they get confused about it because yes, Kyrie Irving, if you're talking about that, Kyrie Irving's a top five player because he's hit and made the biggest shots. So, yes, in terms of that, I agree with you. But in terms of overall talent and what he's shown he can do on the court, that's where I kind of differ. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely worth some clarification. So, yeah, um, so yeah pers- my, uh, I guess, policy with that has always been – so I for, the, for a while I had Anthony Davis in that conversation, especially last year when they were able to win a playoff series. I was like, okay, this guy's a top five player. Um, and I usually try to value more the uh, of the you know the winning and being able to propel their t- those team uh, their team personally you know to greater heights uh, and winning playoff series like you talked about so I guess you're right in that regard that's the kind of the side I was at and not necessarily just the raw talent because I think like you said there's a lot of guys in the NBA that you could argue um, for you know in terms of top five players and just their raw talent you know with Anthony Davis and Giannis. And, uh, and, and you can do that throughout history if you really wanted to. I mean, Tracy McGrady doesn't get thrown in the conversations because he struggled to get out of the first round for so many years. I mean, you talk about pure, absolute skill and playing ability. I mean, you could throw some of these, not saying Tracy McGrady's the, like, the greatest player of all time, but you kind of get what I'm saying there with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, and for, for the sakes of these arguments, I definitely think he's – um, you know, very, very close to it, if not a top five player. So that's what we would consider him this year. And also an MVP candidate this year, um, as he has been, he would, he, um, last year he was in, in the running, right? He was like top five in voting last year or something like that. Was, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So another year in that regard, uh, similar to Anthony Davis until, you know, the team dropped out of all, um, you know, relevancy. And, and now, you know, we're on the outside looking in, of course, but, but Giannis this year has really, um, you know, started that campaign and, and it's been pushed from, from your fans of your team. So, uh, so let, let me give you the opportunity right here on the deep South podcast. Give me your, um, you know, I guess your advocacy, your opinion on why Giannis Antetokounmpo should be this year's MVP. I think it's pretty simple. I, I listened to Candace Parker's commentary on TNT the other night, and she was talking about what James Harden's doing with his, you know, thirty something, averaging thirty plus points a game, his streak for thir- or oh, uh, you know, thirty plus games. Um, I think winning has a lot to do with it for me, um, and I think it always has in terms of what where I've been at. Um, I think the MVP is really about who has maybe the best season, um, and that's kind of what it's turned to ever since Russell Westbrook has won um, because of the triple-double, and I think people have gotten kind of caught up in that and say, oh, wait, he's having huge numbers, but who is the best player on the best team and has monster stats? I mean, you yes, 
James Harden has 36 points per game. His usage rate is absolutely through the roof. I mean, let's look at the minutes here for a second. Yeah, James Harden's top five in the NBA in minutes. Giannis is 46th in the NBA in minutes. Over three, less than 3,000 minutes than James Harden has on the season. And it's just because they don't need him necessarily to win every night. And I don't fault Giannis with that because when they do need Giannis to play well, he always does. Um, like I mentioned before about that offensive box plus minus, I mean, all the stats are really there. His net rating is, was, uh, is over 13 at this point, so that's best in the league. Um, and I'm also going to say that the Bucks have – Pretty much their whole starting five is in the top five in net rating. Um, so they're just a good team overall. And when you have a point differential as a team of plus 10, you really have to say, all right, well, what's really going on here with this team? Because if you break down all the numbers, um, I really don't see a world where Giannis isn't the MVP. If you look at it from numbers, and kind of just the feel of it. Giannis feels like the MVP. Harden feels like he's having a really good run. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my opinion on it. He's the best player on the best team and has pretty much the best stats if you really look at it. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that um, you can make a case for both Giannis and Harden this year. It's, it's just really tricky this year with how um good of an individual performance James Harden have been has been putting on I mean he's been putting on a scoring clinic especially in the past like month or so but Giannis uh, might be the defensive player of the year also that's the that's, that's what the thing is obviously James Harden is crazy good offensively but if you look at the net rating if you look at like a chart of net rating and if you look on my social media I'll tweet one out tonight so people can look at it and you see where James Harden is James Harden is way so far down defensively that you can't even make him the MVP after looking at this chart. It's unbelievable. I mean, Giannis is arguably the best off defensive player this season, and he's probably the second best offensive player this season. And in my eyes, that's better than the best offensive player and probably the hundredth defensive player. I don't know. I just, I just feel like that makes sense to me when I look at it and when I talk to people, it just makes sense. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that was um, a similar argument that we were making last year for Anthony Davis with um, with his, you know, MVP campaign. I mean, he was only third in the voting when it all was said and done, but but he was a top three MVP candidate and a top three defensive player of the year candidate as well. And um, and we were just, you know, we wanted the the voters and the and the the media and everybody that gets to vote on it to see that two way play. Um, yeah. But it seems like the fact of the matter is that MVP at the end of the day, it just seems like an offensive award. It, you know, it really does. And, and you can yeah, you can but, maybe correct me on that. But it, if you look at it last year, the Rockets had uh, a fantastic regular season. I mean, they were the best team in the Western Conference in a very, very difficult Western Conference. So they weren't empty in a hollow stats. And that's kind of what I get from James when you get from James Harden. Um, I don't know. The usage rate is just unbelievable. I mean, the four, it's 40. 40%. That's unbelievable. And I granted, I know Chris Paul was out. Eric Gordon was out. But, man, I I just can't get over that usage rate. And it kind of just puts it in perspective what you're really looking at in front of you. Yeah, it seems like the uh, the usage rate for my my player on 2K. And I, I really don't like to pass the ball. So I know that's Neither pretty rough. If an, NBA, <laughs> if an NBA player is getting that high in the 40, uh, 40s in terms of uh, percentage on their usage, then yeah, yeah, that's getting out of hand. Um, and I can definitely see 
the argument both ways. So, um, so yeah, thank you for giving us that, that, uh, little campaign from your perspective on that. But yeah, so let's move on to the overall team performance for the Bucks this year. So they currently have a 47 and 14 record and they're holding the top spot in the Eastern conference standings. You talked already about Giannis's de- uh, defensive presence and just their, um, you know, being a two way team this year and stuff. Um, aside from Giannis, just what has the team done as a whole to uh, to step up and and really just grab the reins in the Eastern Conference? And how has uh, Mike Budenholzer been able to affect that as well? Well, it really started with Mike Budenholzer. I mean, uh, you look at the roster, and we did have some some changes. Uh, you can't deny that. Uh, but truthfully, the two biggest changes that you had this off season. And arguably, other than LeBron James, the two biggest off changes in the whole league, in my opinion, were Mike Budenholzer and Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez had six blocks last night and is shooting 44% from three. Or excuse me, 36% from three. I was looking at Meritages. 36% from three, nevertheless. That's absolutely just, you, you did not expect that from Brooke Lopez. And Budenholzer has used Brooke Lopez, and basically, the the ball, the trust me, the offense runs to Giannis. But Brooke Lopez and now Miritich are so important to what goes on with that offense because you watched the Bucks last year and what Jason Kidd did for that team, um, and eventually left him with for Joe Prunty to kind of fail with in the playoffs, as you saw. The talents there, it was the execution, it was what they were doing. The Bucks um, now. Uh, our second in the league in threes attempted three point fifteenth uh, three percentage, second in field goal percentage, number one in two point percentage, number one in total rebounding. And last year they were the worst rebounding team in the NBA. Just that is a such a big change that it's unbelievable how this team has done it. And every night we watch the Bucks here in Milwaukee and. All the people that cover this team talk about it's amazing that they're doing this every night. I mean, we're starting to get to a point where it's you get to a game and you feel like they're going to win. And in Milwaukee, where you could buy a ticket for $6 four years ago to get into the building and be in a decent seat, it's 100% different. It's the culture that's changed. I mean, I'm just so pleased with everything that they've done. I could talk about it for hours. There's so many different parts. And, you know, I'll give you a second to interject here because I feel like I'm babbling on. But the roster that they made, I mean, John Horst is a serious executive of the year candidate. Yeah, yeah, no, um, no, no problem at all. I definitely appreciate your insight just because I want to know more about this team, um, you know, playing so well this year. And I've always liked Giannis in his game. So it's good to hear about it from from your perspective. But yeah, so you already talked about the turnover that they had a bit with their roster and everything, and that seemed to to um, to work well for them. And yeah. on the defensive side of the ball, I always knew they were going to be good, just obviously with Giannis and his length that, you know, I feel like he could stretch and touch the roof of the building. He's so long. And then you have uh, Malcolm Brogdon, who's another kind of lengthy guy. And you just surrounded him with these, these uh, you know, lengthy, just people at every position and, and – uh, you know, just being able to switch and, and be versatile on the defensive end. I always knew that was coming, but I think the thing that really jumps out me to me is that they're middle of the pack in terms of three-point percentage in the league because it's not like they have to be a spectacular three-point shooting team. With, with a guy like Giannis that can obviously 
uh, handle the ball, make the right pass when he needs to, and also can't be stopped in the paint. Um, being able to surround him with so many shooters and capable guys that can that can hit that open three, um, it's just so scary to think about. They're not even, you know, they're not top ten, but it's just like, it, it, you know, you don't think it'd be a stat that would jump out at you, but it's just the fact that, you know, if you can spread the the floor for Giannis to work inside and, um, you know, and just on the posts and things like that where he works so well, and then you have guys that can, you know, be just waiting for their opportunity to do that. And you already talked about the stretch bigs that they've had with uh, Brooke Lopez and now adding Nikola Miritich to the mix, which we'll talk about uh, that in a moment. But, but yeah, it's just crazy to think that they have a middle-of-the-pack three-point percentage and they have a guy that just is unstoppable in the paint. So. Well, I mean, let's – Let's look at the stats here because I'm a big stat guy, and I think they really, if you look, if you look at the right ones, they can pretty much take, paint the full picture. So the Bucks are second in the NBA right now in three points, three pointers made and attempted throughout the game. They are 15th, but let's think about what that 35 percent from three is actually getting you in terms of points. So if you're making 13 threes a game, and that's fine. Right, so you're making the second most amount of threes in the game. You're also making the 17th most two pointers in the game. You're the 27th in how many you shoot, but you're number one in efficiency. So what I'm trying to put together here is they're the best efficient shooting two point team, which allows them to give ground in the three point ground game. It's a, it's a math equation if you break down break it down. I'm not that mathematically sound i can kind of read the rankings and tell the story from that but that's it right there they're so efficient at the rim and they shoot so many three-pointers at a decent enough rate that they just outscore teams that's how you get a 10 point net differential throughout the season and you said it too the shooters that they've put around him malcolm brogdon good shooter chris middleton really good shooter eric bledsoe streaky shooter but you don't need him to shoot and I'm gonna, and this is kind of a point I've had the whole season. And I know a lot of teams talk about, all right, you know, the Warriors set the precedent. You need to have three superstars to really contend um, at this level. And I, I would say that's fine, but the Bucks are doing it in a different way, and it works for their market size. And I, I'm shocked that more market size haven't adopted this style. Obviously, not everyone has a player like Giannis, but Giannis has. So Giannis is your number one star. Chris is your number two star, and that number three star, the Bucks are always like, oh, man. Everyone's like, man, can Giannis win with just Chris Middleton? But let's look at, if you look at the game logs from every single night, every single time the Bucks play, you're getting third star production from either Malcolm Brogdon, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Miritich, or Ilyasova on any given night. And that's the beauty of it. This team is so deep that – all right, if they're thirds, if a normal team's third star isn't hitting, they have nowhere to go. If someone on the starting five isn't hitting, all right, someone's got to step up, and they will, and they've shown they have this season. Yeah, for sure. And I want to get into some of those acquisitions that you guys have made just in the um, in the off season and last year's deadline uh, and stuff like that. So let's get into that a little bit. But first, it's a pretty good segue into talking about that second uh, that second star per se that um, that you were mentioning in Chris Middleton. So this guy has had. A, uh, a pretty good season, uh, you know, sort of a breakout season. He He's he's getting up there. Um, You know, he has one more year left on his on his deal. And then he's going to, you know, be getting some sort of payday. But but this guy's really been able to step up this year and be that second option 
for uh, Giannis. Obviously, he's always been a really good shooter and, um, you know, and a lengthy defender and, and things as well. He's a two-way player for sure. But what have you seen from him this year that's really contributed to um, to them getting that top spot in the Eastern Conference right now? It's really about him taking a back seat. Uh, last year, Chris Middleton was playing 36 minutes a game, a career high, 36.4, averaging 20 points a game, uh, shooting worse from the three-point line, shooting better from two-point line. Um, he's just taking a le- he's taking less shots. He's playing less minutes, and that's good for him. You see kind of what's happening with the Celtics right now. You see Kyrie Irving kind of late in games, pounding the ball a little bit too much kind of four guys out there kind of watching him. That was the Bucks' offense last year, um, kind of with Chris Middleton and Giannis. It was three guys stand over here, and Chris and Giannis are going to go one-on-one. And, yes, that was fantastic for Chris's stats, but what he's doing this year is much more important, and that's why he's an all-star, because his team's taking that gap. I mean, Chris Middleton, what he's – and Giannis has chronicled this. If you want to look it up on YouTube, you could look up Giannis um, – and Chris Middleton sacrifice, and he talked so much about what Chris has done for this team. Uh, you break it down, and Chris is taking less two pointers, which means the ball's moving more. He's shooting more three pointers. He's a better three point shooter because of it, because he's not taking um, you know shots off the dribble. He's getting more rotation shots and. He's a crafty player. Uh, like I said, seventeen point four. He's averaging. Um, I just want to pull up his per 36. He's averaging career highs in per 36 numbers right now. 20, um, 26, and 4. 20, uh, yeah, 20 points, uh, 6.9 rebounds, and 4.9 assists. All career highs in um, plus 36. So it's it's a system. It's playing with Giannis. It's taking that back seat. Um, I think Eric Bledsoe as well, because you, know, you did mention you wanted to talk about the additions, so I'll just jump right into that. Eric Bledsoe, since he came on last year uh, in November, um, last year with Jason Kidd, it wasn't really working for him. But this year, he has confidence. Mike Budenholzer wants him to go to the rim. He's the only player in the NBA that's in top 10 in field goal percentage within three feet of the basket that's under 6'8", and he's six foot one. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a, isn't yeah? It's a and, and you and you watch him play and you see why he's so physical when he goes to the rim and it helps that offense. It's a catalyst. It's a catalyst of motion and Mike Budenholzer saw it. So the next the next edition, Brooke Lopez. I mean, when you have a guy that that can pull up from thirty plus and is seven foot tall, you're going to cause a whole mess of problems for everyone you play against because no big man is comfortable going out that far. Um, to guard a guy like Brooke Lopez, at least now, because no one thinks that he can shoot still, which he should have been in a three-point contest over Chris Middleton, in my opinion. But he does that for you. He's a You funnel everything to Brooke Lopez defensively. He can be that for you defensively. He's a piece to the top, uh, the best defense in the NBA. Then you talk about Nikola Mirotic, space, spacer right there. Such an important pickup from your Pelicans, and you saw what he did this, uh, you know, last year for you guys in the playoffs, and he's going to try to do the same for us this year, and he's already off to a great start, shooting over 44% from the field. Part of the reason why John Horst should be executive of the year. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that was a really, really underrated pickup, just in the deadline in general, because um, you already had a floor splacer like Brooke Lopez that's, um like you talked about, you know, just – 
a ridiculous three-point percentage this year and somebody that's just gotten better and better. And one of those, one of the guys that's really just adapted to the modern NBA so well. I mean, you see some uh, big man that big men that kind of just flame out of the league and just cannot adapt to this. Um, and we're seeing evidence of it now a little a uh, little bit right now in New Orleans with Jaleel Okafor. Uh, he just hasn't really adapted to that modern style. He's always been a really just, uh, you know, back to the basket, really traditional big man. And hopefully he'll be able to adapt to that. He really rebuilt his body in the offseason. He's been moving a lot better um, and just overall just is bettering his athleticism because, you know, when he first got in the league, he just always seemed kind of labored on the court. And, you know, he's just kind of dragging himself around. He couldn't really get up and down the court and uh, push the ball and, and things like that. But, but yeah, it's, it's awesome that you were able to add a guy like Nikola Miritich already having Brooke Lopez and, and guy who's an underrated defender too. Um, I was talking to uh, a Bucks fan on Twitter about this around the deadline when they first got Miritich that this guy can play on both sides of the ball. So uh, don't sleep on Nikola Miritich, uh, especially as a rim protector. He can really stay in front of guys and, and picks his spots really well down there. Absolutely. And he could play the, he could play the five and he will play the backup five for the Bucks. Um, in the playoffs and Brooke Lopez is out because the Bucks offense is at their best when they can space like that. And you look at what you gave up for Miritich. You gave up Don Manker, who wasn't playing, Jason Smith, who never played, and a couple second-round picks. But you look at what this Bucks team is going for right now, and they're kind of all in. Um, you know, a lot of people say it's not time yet. Um, the Bucks are trying to spread this momentum. Not often as as the Milwaukee Bucks have been the number one team in the NBA. Um, and I think they're just going all in for it. Yeah, it's been really exciting to watch. And hopefully they can uh, carry it through for the rest of the season and into the postseason. But, um, but yeah, so that's going to do it for our first segment. So in the second segment, we're going to be getting into the logistics of this trade. We're going to talk about some of the young guys that um, – the Bucks could potentially give up in a deal and just what that deal would kind of look like. Um, but first, before the reset, this podcast is brought to you by sportsaldente.com. So let's hear a little bit about that. Are you done with mainstream media? Tired of the same clickbait articles that media conglomerates continually force into your social media feed? Do you want an organic sports consumption experience that can be tailored to your liking? And do you love West Coast sports? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then check out SportsAldente.com right now. SportsAldente.com is a West Coast player-centric media platform. The goal of the site is to feature the great players of the AFC and NFC West of the NFL, West Coast College Football and the NFL Draft, the Pacific Division of the NBA, and even professional wrestling. It is also fully dedicated to giving expert weekly and daily advice in the world of fantasy football. The goal is to analyze players, dissect style of play, and tell stories, not promote false narratives or mainstream clickbait. Sports Al Dente offers three different membership packages, monthly, yearly, or lifetime, that give you full access to great West Coast sports coverage, not only in online print media, but also video and podcast formats. When you go to subscribe, make sure to use the promo code PULSE3 and get 10% off of any membership. That's PULSE3. P-U-L-S-E and the number three and get 10% off of any membership. Head to sportsaldente.com today. Sports Al Dente is your recipe for West Coast sports. Hey guys, and welcome back to this edition of the Deep South Podcast. Um, we're kicking off our Anthony Davis trade series. This is our second episode 
and um, we're covering this from the Milwaukee Bucks perspective. And I have here Dylan from Bucking the Trend podcast. And uh, now we're going to get into some more logistical things with this trade, starting with some of the the Bucks young guys. So we can talk about the guys that are more well known, uh, definitely from my perspective. And then you can kind of go um, go in on some other guys that you might like, and and some more recent acquisitions that you made in the draft. But let's talk about the main young guys that I would see. And the first of those is Malcolm Brogdon, um, a six five guy that can uh, play both of the guard spots. Um, you talked about how he can hit the three and he's gotten more consistent with that this year and a guy that just has length and, and would probably pair pretty nicely to Drew Holiday. Um, so just talk about one you've seen from him in his first couple years in the league. Yeah, I mean, what can you really say from him? A, a second round pick, guy kind of written off um, from a very good Virginia team coached by Tony Bennett. Uh, four-year guy, graduated with his master's degree um, in four years is there, as well as a bachelor's degree, of course. Um, he's really just a smart and intellectual guy that you really like to have on the court. Um, and that's just talking about his mind. Uh, obviously, his size is something that people covet uh, as a big guard, a 6'5 guard, who can, who's really probably a shooting guard, but can play the point guard spot for the um, as well, which is very valuable, especially for the contract that the Bucks have him at right now, his rookie deal, which is over after this season. So he will be a restricted free agent at the end of this season. Um, so in terms of a trade, including him on a trade, it would be difficult to do so um, because he is a free agent. Um, if there was an opportunity uh, for a trade to happen, although, and Malcolm was to be a part of it, um, the Bucks would be able to sign and trade him, uh, being a restricted free agent. Uh, they would be, they could match an offer potentially thrown on the table for him, um, and you know, move that contract to the Pelicans. Um, now, is that a good fit for the Pelicans for what contract he's going to be offered? Probably not. Um, at the Pelican standpoint, they're going to be wanting to look to rebuild and acquire a lot of draft assets and a lot of young guys that are on young young deals or expiring deals. Malcolm Brogdon, being an older player, um, he's you know he obviously like I said he was a four year player. I think he's twenty five or twenty six. Um, you know I don't necessarily think he fits into that mold, especially for the price tag that he's going to be getting. I mean. You're talking anywhere from fifteen to seventeen million dollars for him, and that money on the books is—I <laughs> mean, you know—that that could be quite substantial uh, for something that New Orleans is trying to do. But in terms of a player, I mean, if you can land Malcolm Brogdon as a piece of that trade, that's someone that you want to get because, um, you know, he, he's experienced. He can run the show for you if need be, and he kind of does everything well. The, best part about Brogdon is he does everything at a B level and that's kind of why he wins rookie of the year uh his you know obviously his rookie year and then that's why he's a vital part to the Bucks offense as of right now yeah for sure and that and that's why I included him into the trade just because he's he is a really promising young guy especially on the defensive side of the ball um and yeah I think that would a sign and trade kind of thing would be really hard to maneuver um and things and yeah that's interesting to hear too what you what you think he's going to get next year so you could really see him getting 15 to 17 million i mean probably like maybe 15 to 17 was a little much i could maybe see like 12 you know 15 i think 15 is probably a good number for him um i think obviously i think you're gonna get a bad team that's gonna overpay for him because that's what bad teams do um and 
the, um, let me just tell you right now, the Bucks just got out of that situation. They paid Tony Snell ten million a year. They play John Henson ten million a year. They paid uh, who else? Um, Mirza Toledovich ten million a year. They played. They paid Delhi ten million a year. They traded all but one of those guys. It took them a really long time, and they had to get up rid of a lot. They had to give up a lot of draft picks to get those contracts off the books. So signing those four for forty type deals, it's just not really a winning formula. You look at the Warriors, you look at the Rockets, you look at the Celtics. I mean, maybe not the Celtics, but you look at the Seventy Sixers now. What they're doing is they have max guys, and then they fill out the team at the bottom. And that's kind of the recipe for success nowadays. So, yes, if the Bucks do have extended success in the playoffs, and this is obviously just the Bucks, Malcolm Brogdon, Eric Bledsoe, Lopez, Middleton, and Miritich are all free agents this offseason. The Bucks have an opportunity to re-sign all of them if it goes well. Will they do that? Potentially. You know? If they don't re-sign him, they've opened up a max salary cap for this uh, max salary spot from this offseason. Does that mean that Anthony Davis could come? Potentially. Who knows? But I think, obviously, you got to wait and see how this year works out because if the Bucks go to the Eastern Conference Finals of this roster, I'm pretty sure they're going to bring everyone back, and I don't see a, I don't foresee a trade happening. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. If they if they make it that far this year, especially with um, you know, they have some room for incremental improvement as well, having some younger guys on the team and obviously Giannis who's not, you know, who's relatively young still as well. Absolutely. Um, and one more thing that I wanted to mention about their contracts, uh, you know, Miritich's get was really important and and it's for one more reason for the Bucks. If the Bucks have those four big guys free agents, obviously Miritich is the fifth. If the Bucks do not want to sign Brooke Lopez this offseason because they don't have enough salary cap and they want to keep Middleton, Bledsoe, and Brogdon, they can re-sign Miritich because of his bird rights and go over the salary cap for next season. So that, I mean, that is just another huge thing that we got out of that trade is kind of a plan B if we aren't able to sign Brooke Lopez. Uh, but yeah, I, I know you wanted to talk about the younger players, so continue. I'm, yeah, no, it's all good. Are, are you sure you don't want to trade Miritich back to us, man? No, no, we're we're cool with it. Um, oh man, I hope you like Stanley Johnson. <laughs> I really don't, but um, but yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I I think he's uh, I think he's gonna flake out of the league in a couple years. Personally, Ho- I mean, hopefully his um, he'll be able to just hit a three sometimes, and he's so good defensively that you don't want to just give up on him. So sure. it'd be great, I mean, yeah. It'd be great if he could turn it and turn into something, especially if he could get some sort of jump shot. He doesn't even have to like if he could just shoot like thirty percent consistently, then then it'd be yeah. okay. The Pelicans will make it work. They need wings. Yes, and hopefully through Anthony Davis, you'll be able to get some. Yeah, most definitely. So um, so let's talk about another guy that I've seen a good bit of basketball from, uh, and that's Sterling Brown. Who's he's a six six shooting guard. Uh, this year his numbers don't jump out at you, but um, he's been doing it in, in you know pretty low minutes, and he's averaging uh five points, two rebounds, and one assist on forty five percent from the field, thirty six percent from three, um, and he's doing that in sixteen minutes a game. So hasn't been really been getting an opportunity. Uh, I don't even know if he's really a regular part of the the rotation for you guys. I don't know. Does he get consistent minutes for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more of a spot thing. Um. 
Budenholzer really likes what he does defensively. Um, at 6'6", and he's a pretty stout 6'6", but he's quick um, with it. Uh, and that, I've covered, you know, I did a, actually, it's kind of funny that the Bucks actually took him. I did a, a draft preview uh, a while back, and it was on Sterling Brown, and I wanted the Bucks to take him just because of what he's been able to do. He was kind of another guy that was a three-year player at a, a Southern Methodist, and he came out, he had, kind of play now skills not much of an upside guy but with what he can do now for you defensively and scoring the ball in an opportunistic fashion he's a nice piece um he does have you know he's a restricted free agent 2020 so you would have some uh it could be a nice spot to kind of put it be a filler on a trade um especially because you'll be able to get a year out of him and he obviously you know he, he can go out there and play he he's not necessarily um him and kind of Tony Snell kind of flip-flop for those minutes in terms of the first bench kind of wing off the board um, And when it comes to game-by-games. And Tony Snell's been playing really well this year shooting the ball, so uh, kind of Sterling Brown's role kind of diminished, and he was hurt for a little bit. So his playing time has kind of decreased a little bit, so... Yeah, you talk. I mean, you talked about the defensive potential that he has, and and that's uh, mostly what I've seen from him. His his per thirty six numbers don't look too bad. Um, he's averaging almost uh, twelve points a game, three assists. Um, you know, you know, in what's that? Six rebounds in per thirty six minutes. So, so yeah, I mean, he could be he could be an okay player. Hopefully, his offensive game would come around. He is twenty three years old now. Um, so, you know, still relatively young, but, um, but like you said, this, this may be, uh, you know, just kind of what he does now he can use to his advantage, but maybe the upside may not be there. Um, but really I just, I want the, the Pelicans in this trade, I, I really want them to go to a more defensive minded kind of team, which is why a guy like Sterling, Sterling Brown sounds appealing. Um, and you know, just being able to surround Drew Holiday since he's obviously still going to be here with some um some lengthy some guards around him and then and then some wing talent obviously um which we can talk about but yeah so other than Sterling Brown and Malcolm Brogdon um what other young guys could you could you speak on that might be t- potential pieces in the deal especially guys that aren't going to need to be paid for another few years um you're kind of really only looking at two guys there um Dante DiVincenzo our first round pick this year with number 17 um kind of a fit guy uh he he's been hurt this year with a foot thing he played earlier this year and got some pretty good run had some pretty decent minutes um didn't really do too much offensively um we kind of really haven't seen what he could be because of this injury that's kind of nagged him he had an injury too in the summer which kind of got him off to a slow start so uh, injuries, you know, might be a concern moving forward. But in terms of a player, I mean, we you saw what he did in the national championship game against Michigan. He can really shoot the ball. Uh, you know, he's a pretty quick defender and kind of crafty from what I've seen from him so far. Uh, so that could be a guy who doesn't get paid until 2022 uh, in restricted free agency. The other guy that might be attractive who's kind of played his way kind of into a little bit more uh, good faith around the league is DJ Wilson. Uh, he is a six ten guy out of Michigan. Uh, real lengthy. He's put a lot of he's put a lot of muscle on his body actually since he's been in the NBA. The Bucks the Bucks had the best training staff in the NBA, and if you want to look at it, you can look at their players and see what kind of shape they're in. Um, and 
he's nice. He's he can stretch it out a little bit. He can shoot it a little bit. He plays hard. When he doesn't play hard, he's very kind of hard. He's very hard to play. Um, now that Miritich is here, his role has been diminished. He hasn't played. Um, he's played actually a little bit in the garbage time. Um, but I don't know. See, when the Bucks had Thon Maker and when they had some draft picks, I could see this trade potentially going down. Um, I obviously know that Giannis or Anthony Davis on his apparent list put the Bucks out there. Um, I just don't see a good way for it to happen unless the Bucks are willing to. I think it's more likely that the Bucks get someone in free agent because it's a hell of a lot easier than what it's going to be with Bledsoe, Middleton, all free agents. Because ideally, the Pelicans would probably want to get Chris Middleton back. Right? Probably? Yeah, I probably, mean... Probably Middleton or Bledsoe. Yeah, I mean, Chris Middleton, I feel like he'd kind of have to be the center of the trade because with the Pelicans kind of looking for some more, like, all-NBA kind of guys that they can build around, even though Chris Middleton's already 27. Uh, personally, I, I mean, I put them on the list and, and did the, the episode here with you today, which I, I really uh, appreciated having you on. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, but um, but mostly just because he did put them on his list, and just the idea of pairing AD and Giannis just sounds so enticing, which we can definitely get into. But um, but yeah, so so Chris Middleton, um, he did sign that that five year seventy million dollar deal with you guys back in twenty fifteen. Um, with his last year being a thirteen million dollar player option, so I, I I'm guessing that you don't see him uh picking that option up, do you? No. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Middleton kind of did us a solid with that five for seventy that he did um, earlier in his career, um, and I, he's not really in the market of saving the Bucks any money, especially when the Bucks can pay him. If if the Bucks could not pay him, it would be one story, but they can pay him, and they, he sees what the success is going to be on the floor. So Chris Middleton. And this has kind of been the big debate for Bucks fans, and it's kind of what's lingering in the future that we're so happy about what's going on right now. It's tough to think about this, but a lot of changes could possibly happen this offseason. I mean, Eric Bledsoe to the Lakers could be a very real thing. I mean, Eric Bledsoe's, uh, you know, Rich Paul clutch sports could be an, definitely an opportunity there. They call Eric Bledsoe baby LeBron here anyway. So, I mean, that could definitely be an option. Um but yeah, it just in terms of the contract of what Chris Middleton is probably going to be worth. I mean, this year it's been anywhere from twenty to thirty million dollars, and yes, it's an extremely wide range. But thirty million dollars is a lot for Chris Middleton, and maybe the Bucks can do it because they have his, you know, his rights to go over the cap to do such a thing, and it makes sense for them. But in terms of the Pelicans getting Chris Middleton for thirty million dollars. That doesn't make that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I definitely couldn't see that happening, especially for that price tag. Um, and yeah, and the Pelicans, like I was saying, it just seems like a really short sighted move if they were to do that and have him at the at the center of a trade or whatever. Because if we're if we're trying to rebuild and um, you know at least have a couple years of building through the draft, even though we have a Drew Holiday who's who's going to be obviously our best player, but be playing more of a leadership role and a guy that's just really gotten attached to the city. Uh, and things so they just can't pair from him especially with um you know just helping him deal with everything with his wife and and things uh in the past few seasons they've just really built a connection with him and in the city and stuff so we just can't see him go uh but other than that we're going to be rebuilding so it'd really be a short-sighted move to uh i mean it's about the draft 
you look at these great NBA teams and, you know, other than Boston and Houston, a lot of these teams drafted their players and you you had, and I, you know, it's, I, I hate to say it, but it's like, it's all about what a team does when that player is there. Um, it's all about the ownership and the GM and everyone being on the same page. And the Bucks were not on the same page for many years, but this new ownership group that bought the team made sure that this city of Milwaukee would be invested. And they have been. The new arena is absolutely fantastic. It's a new brand of basketball. And Wisconsinites care. Like I mentioned before, you could get a ticket for $4 like four years ago. No problem. You're in the door. Now you're hard pressed to find, to get in the door for 60, 70 bucks on any given night, no matter who they're playing. It's the culture. It's an overall culture change. And I've heard on, you know, various social media sites, you know, and sports media on questioning if people care about, you know, the Pelicans, like they do the saints down there. And that's what it's really about. It's taking an overall kind of marketing campaign and saying, all right, well, we're not going to be like this anymore. And the warriors did it. They're successful. The bucks are trying to follow that as well. Um, and if you have an ownership group that's willing to spend out the cash, you can kind of make it happen wherever. There's no really excuse for mid markets anymore because the NBA, especially with the Supermax, has positioned teams to get eight years out of a player like that. And, you know, AD had eight years here. Kevin Durant had however many years in the Thunder. They move on. If you don't do it enough for them, they move on. And, you know, we'll be facing that with Giannis at some point um, in 2021. And that's what the Bucks are trying to do. They realize they might have the best player in the NBA. So you either do it, you either take the gift or you run from it. And the Bucks are going after it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there that it, that it takes a good ownership group and just everybody being on the same page, like you said, to get that done. And hopefully the Pelicans will be able to build something like that. Uh, it does seem like they're going in the right direction. Now having someone like Gail Benson running the show here. Um, so before it was, it was Tom Benson, her husband that owned the team, um, and this guy was, I mean, he was really, really old when he was, when he was owning the team, wasn't really too involved. I mean, you saw him at the games kind of just staring blankly into the, uh, into the abyss watching the games and it, it, he just didn't seem too, too thrilled about it. And like you said, there have been, um, you know, allegations and, and things towards the Pelicans and, and people, uh, you know, saying that they may not care about that team as much, uh, as they do the saints. And mainly that's just because you had a guy like Mickey Loomis, that was, um, you know, had authority or people, you know, these people saw that he had authority in the Pelicans front office and decision making and things like that. And he was a guy that wasn't a basketball mind. He was most definitely more invested into the football as a sport and just the football side of things in terms of, um, you know, having ownership in both of those teams. And um, now it seems like he's going to be out of the picture and he's going to be focusing more on the Saints side of things. And Gail Benson is going to be running the show. Um, and hopefully she's going to be creating a hierarchy of authority, um, you know, that all adhere to her and getting an actual president of basketball operations, uh, you know, and him being able to hire his own staff. And, and I think that that's going to be what's going uh, to take the next step for us, um, you know, being able to have that that search this summer to see who the best GM candidate is going to be for the Pelicans. And hopefully they spare no expense in that regard. I think that it's time to have an actual search where you're not just trying to, to find the best bargain at the, at the GM spot. We need to find somebody 
who is established, who has a good reputation in the league, and somebody that can that can turn this franchise around because we're going to need some quick turnover really quick, um, especially if we want to try to compete anytime in the near future. Um, yeah, so hopefully she'll be able to create that new culture that you were talking about um, because the Milwaukee Bucks have done a very good job of that. But let's jump right into just the idea of Giannis and AD uh, being paired together. I know it's just a fun thing to think about, even if there's no way that it ever happens. Um, two guys that are that are 25 and under that are just taking the league by storm, and um, and yeah, it, it would just be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, just just kind of fantasize a little bit about what that would be like. I think first of all, you have to move to the defensive end of the floor. I know offensively, it's you know, you you can imagine you know alley oops and the length that you could have and. Anthony Davis improving as a shooter, Giannis improving as a shooter, having two guys like that out there that can space, handle, shoot, dunk, do everything for you. Um, but I, like I said, defensively, I, you could you could really scheme up some scary things, and it would kind of be a no-fly zone when it comes to the paint um, with either one of those guys there at any given point. And you can kind of see what Giannis can do to some people defensively, and as well as Anthony Davis in terms of protecting the rim, uh, and just kind of causing awkward shots because of their almost awkward length, uh, as you would see. But yeah, it, w- it would definitely be fun to see them together. Um, you know, I'm not definitely throwing out the possibility that after he, you know, Anthony Davis becomes a free agent after this next season, that maybe money can be moved around and you can make a decision then because who knows what, I mean, you know, a whole other year, more than a year, two almost two years, two and a half years from now, or one and a half year from now, uh, it could be a different situation for the Bucks, and maybe you could see that happen um, because, you know, the Warriors set the precedent. Having two top five players in the NBA together is kind of what the standard is uh, if you can get there. And I think every team is trying to get there. And a mid-major team like Milwaukee, um, obviously we'd have to consider it. But, you know, you look at the Bucks team and – I think when you think about what they're built as, it kind of speaks to what the culture in the city of Wisconsin, you know, in the city of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin is as a whole. Um, We're not really a glitzy or grand, you know, glamorous town. We kind of bring our lunch pail and get it done and we do it in the best way that we can. And that's what this team kind of signifies. And I think that's why. You know, you see Bucks fans and you know Brewers fans and Packers fans fall in love with their teams because they never really have the star players, but they always end up good because they just work really hard and it's a chemistry thing. And the Bucks have excellent chemistry right now. And that's, is that something you want to mess up with long term? No. Does the thought of Giannis and Anthony Davis playing together sound absolutely tasty? I guess <laughs> is a good word. It does. Um, but I think that the Bucks are better set off for a championship winning by himself. And Colin Cowherd, I mean, he's definitely not believing in the Bucks, but he said that he thinks Giannis can win a championship with a bunch of guys like Kurt Middleton. And I, for one, agree. He, he can. There's no one that's ever been like Giannis, and that includes Anthony Davis, because there's no one been like Anthony Davis. But, um, yeah, it's it's they're very both they're both very special players let me just leave it at that yeah i definitely um i definitely appreciate too as somebody who is a fan of a small market team uh what the milwaukee bucks have done and like you talked about they they don't um they don't do it with glamour they haven't put together that um you know that golden state miami heat kind of super team there yet but um maybe it's coming for them 
uh, we'll you know we'll we'll definitely see that in the near future. But you'll but see it in the playoffs. You'll you'll start to see that the Bucks will start to become America's sweetheart in the playoffs. I, I really believe that it'll become a national kind of story because this team's exciting and you know people like to say Detroit Pistons from 2004 and I tend to like that but they never had a player like Giannis so oh, they could they could do this consistently I think so it's uh it's it's a nice thing that they built here so I'm, I'm happy to be covering it and happy to be uh experiencing it yeah, for sure. And I could definitely get behind that that campaign for the small market. Uh, you know, if they were able to make it in the finals or whatever, I'd definitely be rooting for them. Um, but but yeah, so I can't believe, first of all, that you said that you agree with something Colin Cowherd said on my show. But we'll put that aside. Um, if you look at our podcast, though, <laughs> see, the things that he said about the Boston Celtics, and that could be a whole other hour-long podcast, but the things that he says about the Boston Celtics are absolutely unreal because I don't know if we're watching the same game. I do not think the Boston Celtics, I think they have a bunch of talent, but they are completely the opposite of the Bucs. And it's pretty telling that, I don't know. I just don't think that, you know, there's six in their last 12 games, six without, with Kyrie, six without Kyrie. They're 0 and six with Kyrie, six and 0 without him. You can't, you can't deny anything like that. That's not a one game phenomenon. That's six games. If it was four and two and two and four, maybe that's one thing. But six and zero oh and zero oh and six, and you're talking a point differential that's double digits. It's ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And it's just been great to see what they've what they've been able to do. Um, kind of wrapping this up here, you know. Um, yeah, I I definitely don't think that this is a strong possibility to happen. But if we were to see something like this happen in a, in a potential trade, um, you already talked about how it would be a little tricky just with how many guys are about to get re-signed and things like that. But um, I would definitely want to know that Chris Middleton would re-sign in New Orleans most definitely, um, and he wouldn't want to re-sign for $30 million a year because, you know, I, that's just ridiculous. And if we're going to – even though I think it's short-sighted um, – you know, they could have a potentially good team around Chris Middleton, but they wouldn't be able to add very much talent around them uh, if he was making that much money. Um, so, yeah, so I'd want to know that. I'd, w- I'd want to obviously know that Malcolm Brogdon would, would be there. So it would have to be some kind of sign-and-trade scenario. I don't know. It would just be really difficult to maneuver. But, um, yeah, kind of from your side, put on your GM hat uh, and tell me what this deal would look like for you. I mean – the only way that this would ever happen is if Chris Middleton signed, agreed to his player option, which isn't going to happen whatsoever. Um, so let's live in a hypothetical world where Chris Middleton wants to get traded to New Orleans and make only $13 million. Um, but let's throw him in there. Um, probably Malcolm um, and, I don't know, DJ Wilson or Dante DiVincenzo. I just – you know, I'm just having such a hard time because it's like these guys all play such a critical role on this Bucks team, and this, it doesn't work with them without them, and it doesn't work with Anthony Davis. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just the subtractions and the minuses just don't. I don't see a, a successful way the Bucks continue what their trending is with Anthony Davis on their team. And I mean, no offense to Anthony Davis and stuff like that, but I just. I don't know. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way, like just kind of how he handled the whole situation, especially obviously the Lakers. I think, you know, 
what everyone wants to say about Rich Paul and what LeBron's influence is, in my opinion, I think it's pretty clear that LeBron and Rich Paul said, all right, Anthony, you're going to try to force a trade right now and because we need to get you here because Boston's going to have a better package in the offseason and New Orleans is probably going to trade him to Boston. And New Orleans doesn't want to trade him to L.A. So this was the best time to do it while Boston couldn't. And they couldn't. And now you're kind of sitting there with your arms folded all pissed off and you know, you lose one-point games like you did the other night when Anthony Davis is on the bench and Etwan Moore is taking a, a questionable shot that's blocked by Jimmy Butler. I mean, it's like that stuff kills you. And I don't know from a personality standpoint, standpoint how that would work but i don't know yeah for sure um i don't think we have to go into in depth with the logistics of the trade and i think it's safe to say like you were talking about too that that the the bucks guys have probably have more value to the bucks than they might have for another team like the like the pelicans especially with a guy like budenholzer that has his system and everything in place and and has been able to help them out this year but uh really quickly we only have like 30 seconds here or so so um so just do a quick, uh, you know, kind of shout of your podcast, what you're talking about, and and thanks for coming on, Dylan. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we are Buck the Trend Podcast. We are a part of the Pulse Podcast Network of the NBA Podcast. So we are the Milwaukee Bucks Podcast for uh, the Pulse Podcast Network. Um, we have a lot of cool analytical talk, like I discussed today. We have a lot of cool guests on from The Athletic, ESPN, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, um, you know, I'm going to be credentialed for a couple games, so I'll have, you know, access. You can follow my Twitter, DP, uh, two underscores, and then hoops. Um, you'll see it tagged in this podcast, of course. So, yeah, just appreciate And thanks to Dylan from the Bucking the Trend podcast for coming on to this edition of the Deep South podcast. We're going to wrap this on right here. The second episode of our Anthony Davis trade series covering the Milwaukee Bucks in this one. And as you know, my name is Landon, and you can find me at Hot Pelicans Takes on Twitter. And this is the Deep South Podcast, where we are giving you your weekly Pelicans, Saints, and LSU Tigers coverage by fans for fans. And have a good night, Pelicans fans.